Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same love, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right over. All right, welcome back to Forge in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Today's guest, his background is is quite amazing. Uh, from a you know college baseball player to working in the college uh, in the baseball industry, and now he is working with bulls. I, I'm just gonna leave it at that. JJ Gotch, so great to have you on today. How are you doing, Rob? Awesome, buddy. Um, you know, last couple of times I've seen you, I had a Lucha Libre mask. On, so. <laughs> That's why we're doing it in awesome. audio only. <laughs> I, was, I was I was wondering how this was going to look. Now now I just feel weird staring into a blank computer screen with a Lucha Libre mask on. I, I know. I, I'm just glad you wore pants. I can I can just sense <laughs> the pants are on, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, buddy? Man, it's been a long time. Oh, I know. It's it, you know, I kind of give some people the background story. We actually did uh, one of our, our universal friends, uh, Bonner Paddock. Uh, we all did the Orange County Marathon. Uh, I don't know if you call it like the marathon. We did like the In and Out and Burger Run, didn't we? Yeah, well, we, we, we were just ran the In and Out Burger. Well, we had originally committed to do the half marathon, and then if you remember, the seventy-two-year-old guy from Compton. Who ran by us and was on like his fiftieth marathon in like fifty days? Yeah, and we we're like, what? And we were going so slow. We're about like this guy. We can't let him go by himself. Yeah. So that 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 motley crew that we had, I think there was like eight or ten of us, started following him around. <laughs> we were going so slow that they were they shut down the course in front of us. But then we were trying to figure out where to go. We got lost. <laughs> on in and out burger and we all ultimately went and had stopped in the middle of our quote-unquote full marathon stopped at in and out somehow figured our way back we're calling people trying to figure out where to go but yeah. i don't know if you remember kind of what i've, I've done it all. i've done six marathons and you know got to do some really fun stuff and those are always emotional but when i think whatever it was the eight or ten of us that came to the finish line along with that gentleman and awesome. there was a group of, I don't know, what was it, 50 people that were still waiting at the finish line and yep. kind of all went arm in arm and crossed that finish line together. That was one of the more memorable moments that, that I'll have in my life. And just it was a just a it was just a special day that that I really didn't have any expectations of going into it. Oh, I, I I agree so much. I mean, we really we embraced what it was all about. Um, being out there together, being out there, you know, supporting Team Jakey. Uh, it was, it was just, it was. You, you can't say it any better. It was a great day, and it was one that you couldn't plan. That's for damn sure. <laughs> no, for sure. And I don't know that you could ever ever emulate it again. No, no. Especially, I mean, that burger was unbelievable. I mean, In and Out Burger in itself is great, but when you're really, really tired, it's even better. 
Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a Texas guy, so we're, you know, we're, we're kind of Whataburger. It's kind of like, kind of like your um, fireman Rob back screen that I'm staring at, but yeah, I'd have to agree that that might've been the best burger I've ever had in my life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, we've digressed a lot here, but I want to go, I want to go back into your, cause we, we talked about mindset and you've got just one of those strong mindsets that, you know, you, you've been successful on so many different levels from when you played college baseball to uh, when you're working in um, the Ryan Sanders sports and entertainment umbrella, and you worked with many different uh, facets. I want to go back to your baseball days. Um, you played shortstop. Uh, what was it like to be able to play at that top level and even advance to the college world series? What was that like when you're a young, a young buck? You know, for me, it was, it was a dream come true. Uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, I remember when I was in, in, in my parents had had season tickets to the College World Series every year since before I was born. Oh, so, wow. I was, you know, the, the two places that I pretty much grew up that I tell people were, were in two parking lots, the parking lot of Memorial Stadium in Lincoln before Husker games, and then in the parking lot of Rosenblatt Stadium where the College World Series used to be held. And so I went there every year growing up and got oh, to see wow. all the greats from Will Clark and Barry Bonds and, and Ben McDonald and just all the great teams that would roll in. And so, you know, I remember I was in seventh grade and they say, you know, put your goals down for what, you know, what you want to do in life. And I just put college world series with no real thought that that would be a reality. And so I was, was really fortunate. I got put in some good situations in high school, was fortunate to go to a really good high school, Creighton prep. And just from there, got some visibility and, and was able to, to get a scholarship with Creighton University and our head coach, Jim Henry, at the time and signed. And in my freshman year, um, we, we won the regional in USC and advanced to the College World Series for the first time in program history and the first time that any team from Nebraska had actually participated. So to be able to get to play in that event, to be able to have it be in the hometown that we grew up in and, and to see not only all my family, but all the friends and everybody that we grew up with in that parking lot. And to be able to share that with them was, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, and, and I was, you know, mostly riding on the coattails. I was a freshman that year. We had an unbelievable team, but you know, they were great leaders, um, you know, and guys that I really looked up to and, and ultimately, you know, were a, more folks that continued to kind of shape who I was going to be in the, in the path that I wanted to go down. And so, you know, ultimately it didn't lead to a career as a player in professional baseball, but it led to a 25 year career on the business side of professional baseball. And so um, it was great. It was an unbelievable experience. Um, really enjoyed all my playing days. Um, you know, I don't really miss the practice, the practices. And, <laughs> who does? And just, and to a certain extent, even some of the games, but I think it's the camaraderie. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it's the same within your community of the, of oh, the completely. relationships that you built uh, as you were in department to department. But, you know, when you're on a team, the bonds that you build and, and knowing and, and the lessons that you learn for life in terms of having to work together, having to deal with not only wins, but dealing with losses, how you come back from those, having to deal with people that you don't necessarily like or get along with but yeah. you've got shared goals and you have to work together. Um, those are all things that, that shaped me throughout my childhood, throughout my college career, my, my brief professional career on the playing side, but, but helped kind of form who I am today and, and really gave me all the lessons that I need for business. And, and you were a shortstop and that's not an easy position at all. 
how did how did being in that position where you you really have to be like that Swiss Army knife of of most types to be able to cover the infield to be able to have a good enough arm to be able to get to, you know to first base to be able to go out and you know how did that translate into your business side um, once you got in there? Well, interestingly enough, I was only a shortstop my freshman year. That freshman year, and, and it was. Well, that was when you guys was, got to the. <laughs> and it, well, it was. It was. It was when I was at the College World Series, but it was primarily because, uh, first and foremost, I was skinny at that time. I, I came out of high school about a buck fifty-five, maybe one sixty, soaking wet. <laughs> and our starting shortstop that year was a senior. He got hurt about two weeks into the season, and so for the no middle kidding. part of that season, there was nobody else. So they had to put the freshman in. And so, um, but just by size, and I had a good arm, and. And, and, and obviously kind of knew the game, and it's a little bit of a quarterback situation. You kind of have to know where the ball is going to be before it gets there. But right. then after my freshman year, I put on about 20, 25 pounds. I wasn't fast to begin with and got even slower, so then I got put on the corner <laughs> first and third. But then ultimately what I ended up having to, to do over the course of my career, and it's interesting because you said Swiss Army Knife, is I ultimately for my sophomore through senior year became a utility guy. It's where I could play oh, okay. first, I could play third, I could catch, I could play the outfield. And and, and even into my senior year, I, I came in and started pitching again. Um, oh, wow. And when I was a hitter, I was a switch hitter. I could hit from the right side or the left side. So in a lot of games, I would sometimes actually start on the bench so that I could come in to pinch hit later in the game in a, in a key situation. So um, that was, to your point, it's interesting because it was a Swiss Army knife type situation. And I learned oh, – definitely. I learned the importance of, of being diversified, being versatile, um, not being locked into one program or one thing, um, having the ability to do a lot of different things. And so I wasn't great really at anything, but I think I was good at a lot of things, which yeah. ultimately helped me and, and gave me the career that I had, um, which was a, a decent college career. and Got to go to the next level for a year or so. But, but I think, again, to your point, um, the thing that it taught me was again, the ability to be diversified, the ability to do a lot of different things, to be versatile, to be able to say yes. When somebody asks you to do something, um, you know, if there's a need somewhere it may not be what you want to do, but can you help the team? And so again, I, all those things. And sometimes I was cognizant of them and, and was thinking about how it could help me in life. And a lot of times they were just situations that happened and I didn't know that they were forming who I would ultimately become. Huh? I mean, that's crazy because then you think about yourself going into, you know, a general manager role and a president role in, you know, the both the, um, the Round Rock Express and then the Corpus Christi Hooks. How did how did it translate getting into that position and kind of being um, I don't even know what you call it, like the, the guide for those uh, those young athletes that are coming through with you knowing both sides of the coin? Well, the good thing, well, good thing or bad thing, depending on how you want to look at it, but minor league baseball. So really the, the teams that you mentioned are really any minor league baseball team, you know, be yeah. it uh, you know, team in Des Moines or team in Boise, Idaho, or Augusta, Georgia, or Corpus Christi or Round Rock, you're really just running the business operations. So the sales, marketing, advertising, ticket sales, sponsorship sales, all okay. those things, everything yeah. off the field. Basically, anything on the field or, or the folks that are in uniform, the, you know, the, the players, the coaches, the umpires, trainers, all that is dictated by the, the parent club or the major league team. 
So they decide who's on the team, who plays, how much they get paid, all those things. And the the minor league organization, the team really takes care of all the business stuff. So, but to your point there, you know, there's still a relevancy there is that again, there's a lot of different components that go into that. Again, there's, there's sales, there's marketing, there's advertising, there's merchandise, uh, sponsorship sales, there's in-game promotions, all the different facets that go into that stadium operations. And so it's having the ability to not necessarily do all those jobs, but have a respect for them and understand their importance in the organization and make sure to be able to communicate goals effectively to all those folks. Because again, it goes back to that teamwork thing, right? To where not everybody's the same. Everybody has a different skill set, but how do you get them on the right seat on the bus and how do you give them the best tools and the best chance to succeed so that the team can succeed? And so that was kind of the role as, as a GM or the president of a minor league team is right. really just trying to, to build up uh, each one of those departments, give them the resources they need to succeed, and then just making sure that they're all working together. Um, and so that's, I think, some of the lessons that, that I knew, again, just being diversified, understanding different departments, um, and, and, you know, just creating a culture uh, that everybody, you know, feels excited about and wants to, to work for. But you're but you're kind of humble in all those things that you just said because <laughs> when you were with these franchises, you set records for attendance. So in other words, you had an, a greater idea of how to bring people in, how to make the game, you know, in essence, them tied to that team. How did that happen? How did that come about of you, um, you know, working that magic that you have to be able to get that record-setting attendance? Well, I think there's a couple different things in it, and it starts at the top with anything, right? And so right. our ownership group um, was the Ryan family, Nolan Ryan and his two sons, Reed and Reese, and then the Sanders family, Don Sanders and his sons, Brett and Brad. Um, the Sanders, Don was a, a minority owner of the Astros when Nolan signed with them. They created and forged a relationship there that, that still lasts to this day and have been business partners. And so that's kind of where the Ryan wow. Sanders part of that comes and then ultimately the, the founder and kind of the, the guy that had the idea for this was, was Reed Ryan, Nolan's oldest son and my teammate at TCU. And really when you start with Nolan Ryan in baseball in Texas, you've got kind of a head start. <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of already starting at second base. That um, helps a little bit. <laughs> it does. And then so that name, that legacy, the, the trust that he's built up within the state of Texas and, and throughout baseball, Reed's energy and then – you know, the, the folks that we were able to work with um, that helped us start the Round Rock Express, helped us start the Corpus Christi Hooks. I mean, it, it really is a team. And while it's great to have no one's name, um, yeah. you've got to also uh, have the ability to once a plan and a strategy is put in place, but somebody to go out there and make sure that it works. And so, again, for those 23 and a half, 24 years that I was there, uh, we were surrounded by amazing people, um, young, old, uh, from all different backgrounds, people that love baseball, people that didn't know anything about baseball. Uh, but we shared a common goal, uh, which was to take care of our fans, take care of our sponsors and take care of our players. And, we, you know, I felt like we really created a great environment for everybody. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's great to see to be, even though I'm not involved with either one of those organizations today, to see them both thriving and, and successful um, because right. it shows that you, you built it, 
you built this core foundation um, that you don't need to be there. And that, and that as long as other qualified folks are going in there, which they still have, that that foundation is still there and, it, and it's in their great community assets. So super proud of what we're able to build there and glad to see that they're still you know thriving. That's so huge because you, you know, a lot of the, you know, also the Ryan Sanders baseball and entertainment isn't just the, the baseball side of it either. You got to do a lot of different operations to be able to, I mean, the state of Texas was probably pretty proud of all the things that you guys accomplished for that organization. But at the same time that translated into this new, uh, experience, I should say, how did you choose to go and do uh, be the CEO of the Austin Gamblers? Because that's that's a that's a big shift, you know, from uh, baseball and kind of music and all this other stuff to bull riding. No, it is, uh, you know, and I think kind of going back <laughs> to the to the theme of diversification and the, to kind of set this up a little bit. I think we have to go back to 2013 because that was a pivotal year for for Ryan Sanders' our organization. It was the year that you know, some big things happened. One, Reed Ryan, our founder, he left the organization to go become president of the Houston Astros, which was an awesome oh, wow. opportunity That's for him. And then we actually sold the Corpus Christi hooks that year and in an, in, a, in an effort to diversify so that all of our eggs weren't in one basket and we were just minor league baseball owners. Um, we started two different divisions. One was a hospitality company where we started and became a, a pretty big player in the food and beverage business where we were doing all the food and beverage at three or four different minor league baseball stadiums around the country, a couple small arenas, and even an F1 track here in Austin. Wow. And then simultaneously, we started a turf division, a sports turf construction company where we were going in and doing everything from natural grass to artificial grass. We built the practice fields for the Super Bowl in Houston the year that it was there. We replaced really? the turf at Minute Maid Park where the Astros were. We did the Cotton Bowl. Um, we started our own line of synthetic turf, um, you know, named after Nolan Ryan. Uh, we ultimately moved his charitable foundation up there. So a lot of big things happened there, but an effort to diversify, um, kind of go vertical a little bit. Um, and so that was a big thing. And that took us a long time to get to kind of figure out what those businesses were and how they worked together. Right. And so that was a, a long process and, you know, it took a long time. And so about 10 years later, you know, you get to 2022 or so. And I got a call from a headhunter saying, Hey, there's a professional new professional bull riding league getting started by PBR. Um, there's a group that bought a franchise and they're going to move them to Austin and they need somebody that a has experience in running a team in a league environment. And they need somebody right. that has connections in Austin and so obviously, you know, for the fact that I was in the, in the, you know, minor league baseball world and, and running a team in a league for 20 years. Um, and at that time, and still currently on the chairman of the board for the Austin sports commission. Um, I guess I checked a couple of those boxes. And so they came <laughs> Just a couple. And so come on, JJ. Yeah. And so we started talking and, and it was, I, at first I was like, man, I, I'm in Texas. I work for Nolan Ryan and, and Don Sanders and work with the Lions and one of the greatest organizations. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to be 50, um, kind yeah. of, you know, I'm getting ready to put the seat in the upright position, tray tables going up and we're going to have a smooth landing <laughs> on this deal. Um, but the more conversations we had, the more interesting it became on what the PBR was trying to build the ownership group that, that was putting this together for Austin. 
And so, you know, I kind of went back to the Ryans and said, Hey, there's this weird opportunity that's come my way. And, you know, just trying to figure out what, what that looks like and what I should do. And, you know, not trying to say, Hey, I need you to do this because I was the COO. I knew what my position was. I knew where we were going. I knew it wasn't about being paid. And so the Ryans were like, listen, this is a crazy unique opportunity for you. Go try it. You know, this could be really exciting for you and, 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 and see what happens. And so kind of with their blessing, um, I, you know, I took the leap and it was a decision that wasn't taken lightly. My wife and I spent a lot of time talking about it, but you know, when we looked at all the different elements, you know, that we knew that, you know, there was a chance that with Ryan Sanders, they may be going to look at major league baseball. We've always talked about bringing major league baseball to central Texas, but you know, that was never a sure thing. So with this other group, we had an opportunity to work for Abby and Egon Durbin, uh, originally from Houston. They live um, in, near Silicon Valley now. Egon's the co-CEO and founder of Silver Lake, which is one okay. of the biggest private equity firms in the world. Um, they own uh, Endeavor, uh, which in addition to the PBR, they own UFC. They just purchased WWE. Um, <laughs> Those are kind of big percent. names. Big names. They've got a you know ten percent stake in Manchester City, the English football club. They've got five percent ownership of the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. They own several minor league baseball teams now. So they wanted to, to get into sports ownership as individuals as opposed to a company. Right. And Egon is on the board of several large companies. Uh, was on the board of Twitter. Is on the board of Motorola. Is on the board of Dell and has a great relationship with Michael Dell and actually was able to, to work with Michael and Michael's a 20% investor in, in the gamblers as well. And really? we have Dell Technologies as one of our primary sponsors. So it was this really unique and powerful group of owners that were wanting to build something in Austin. It was the opportunity to, to bring another sports franchise, professional sports franchise to Austin. Our right. home arena is the Moody Center, which is the brand new arena on the UT campus managed by Oakview Group and was named last year by Polestar as the best new venue in the world. No not kidding. just Texas, not just the U.S. So to be able to wow. work with them and really, Rob, more than anything, to be able to utilize all the lessons that I've learned over the last 20 to 25 years uh, in terms of running a team in a league in Austin and and, yeah. and, and hopefully being able to you know, utilize the good things that have happened and take the lessons from the, from the losses and the things that haven't gone well and, and turn those around and, and use a fresh perspective. So it wasn't just one reason. It was a lot. And then the other thing is, you know, when you're 50 years old, there's not a lot of times when you're 50 that you get a chance or an opportunity to do something like this. Usually it's when you're 30 or 40. So for me, Oh, to have yeah. one more good last challenge, one more last hard charge, um, seemed pretty exciting. That's it had to be pretty cool because it. I mean, obviously, it's very it's caught great attention. I mean, you did pretty good in the draft, getting the you know the you have the team's MVP um, with Jose, and then at the same point, you guys are in the lead right now. How how does that feel to be kind of one of those the you know starting out and then having that team that just really started to excel and find their niche? Yeah, so we were extremely fortunate. Um, we had I think just over a four percent chance of getting the first pick in the lottery. <laughs> Seriously, four <laughs> percent? Yeah, 
So we end up getting the first pick and there was a little consternation amongst the other seven teams about that because, you know, going into a sport that had primarily been an individual sport, not primarily, it was an individual sport for the last couple hundred years. And to create a team, you know, when you're going to form a team, you know, it'd be like if the NFL was just all individual players, you know, just doing their own individual skill positions, then they get together as a team and you've got an opportunity 15 years ago to, to, to draft Tom Brady or in yeah. 1990 to draft Michael Jordan. Like, that's <laughs> what that was. So we had this uh, five-round draft, and then we had free agency afterwards. And, again, we were extremely fortunate to be able to get Jose V. Torleme as the first pick. Um, he's arguably one of the greatest bull riders uh, in the history of the sport. And, and in addition to that, he's just an unbelievable team captain. Uh, the guy yeah. leads by example. I've never met a mo- more focused determined or competitive person in my life. And you got to remember I worked for Nolan Ryan for 20 plus years. Yeah. And around a lot of other great athletes and Jose's <laughs> big statement. Yeah. Jose's, I mean, he's a robot. He, he's an absolute machine. Um, wow. I've never seen anybody so calculated, um, so focused on winning. And there's a lot of people that you meet in life and they say they want to be the best and they say they want to be a champion. Right. But their actions maybe don't, you know, follow what they say or or consistently, (laughs) but Jose every minute of every day is focused on being the best. And um, it's just great because we don't really have to say anything to our guys. It's just like literally the example sitting five feet away from you, just follow him. And so in addition to him, we were able to get a great group of guys. Um, And again, where we were, then there was a snake draft. So we didn't, we didn't go till 16 and 17 and 32, 33 but we were really fortunate in the group, the guys that we were able to select in the draft and free agency. We wanted obviously the best talent at whatever spot we had, but we also wanted guys that were going to fit in. You know, we didn't need somebody that was going to butt heads with our coach or butt heads with Jose. Um, we needed guys that really kind of fit in, had roles, knew what those roles were, were, were happy to accept them, wanted to get better, wanted to thrive in this team environment. And we were really fortunate. Um, I mean, we had a great group of guys and so, yeah, so it was a, it was a magical season and had some highs and lows and were able to ultimately finish the the first regular season in first. And, um, you know, I think it set the foundation, um, for the future and, and, and and hopefully, you know, what we're trying to do and we're not going to finish first every year. Um, but (laughs) wait a second. No, no, no. Don't put that out there. Well, I think I think you had a good it, chance, JJ. You know our goal. You know that's our goal, but it's not just on the dirt either. Like you know, ultimately we want True. to be the best in everything. We want to yeah. sell the most tickets. We want to have the most sponsorship sales. We want to have the most merch sold. Yes, and yeah. and sometimes we're we're going to fall short, but our goal and our effort and and, and just clarity towards those goals will never change. Um, and yeah. and it's it's awesome because everybody in our organization. It's awesome because for me, I feel like I'm in the middle because we've got our owners who are Abby and Egon along with Michael Dell. And, and, and Michael's got a book that's called Play Nice But Win. But our owners are are incredibly, incredibly competitive and they want to win. And, yeah. and they'll do anything to support us. And then we've got our writers who are writing for us who are ultimately competitive and want to win. So it's really easy for me to wake up every day and know that I've got to give my best because the guys that are writing for us risking their lives and the guys that are above us that are financially supporting us uh, and emotionally supporting us are there too. So it's, it's, 
you know that everybody's pulling uh, in the same direction. And it just makes it easy to be excited to come to work every day and try to be the best and motivate the rest of the staff here in the front office to be the best. And you, you went from like a, a baseball environment where it's not, you know, you know, it's not life or death. I mean, unless you're getting punched in the head by Nolan. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I had to enter that in. I mean, there's no, there's no chance not to, um, to go into bull riding and literally these guys are, are taking their lives in their own hands and, and putting it out there, you know, for entertainment, for victory, for the, you know, the, the self victory. How does that change the mindset of those people that are supporting them like yourself and like the marketing and everybody of understand that it's kind of like the fire service. I mean, in essence, these guys are putting their lives in danger. No, I, I was being interviewed the other day, and it's funny. I mean, I, I know I've always thought about it in the back of my head, and then it just came out of my mouth, and I'm like, oh, wow. So I just said that. But to your point, you know, the organization that I lead is unlike any other business that's out there outside of being a fire chief, you know, a police captain, or a leader in the military. Because every time one of our riders straps their hand into that bull rope, there's a legitimate chance that something very bad can happen. You know, yeah. a minor injury, a major injury, or even death. And so when you've got people that you're working with that are willing to sacrifice not only for themselves and for their families, but for you and for the organization, it's it creates a different mindset that initially I didn't think about or didn't even think that I was ever, ever going to have to think about. But again, it just it further kind of demonstrates what, what I have to do every day is that if these guys are willing to do that, then I've got to be willing to work a couple extra hours every day. I've got to be willing to kind of go the extra effort for them or for the organization to, again, make sure that we're all focused on those goals and doing everything we can. But it's, it's interesting because I hadn't really thought about it, but you know, I think again, probably military commanders, fire chiefs, police captains, Outside of that, I mean, you're not really asking people to risk yeah. their lives on behalf no. of the organization, and that's what we're doing in a lot, in a, in a lot of times, in a lot of ways. It's it, it's such a powerful and strong, like you said, it, it, it's a powerful and strong team that I don't think a lot of people understand in, in that in, in the PBR and bull riding industry of like that's that's a it's a it's a family, and it's just like the fire service. You know, you you want everybody to go home at the end of the day. And that's no different than these guys um, at being there for each other. And, you know, the front office also understanding those concepts. It's huge. It's huge. I, I love it. You've got uh, what what did I, what did I see. So there's the, the, the team series championships are coming up in October in Vegas. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. So season two starts the end of July. We kick off the, the year in, in uh, Cheyenne at Frontier. That is the, the, the granddaddy of them all. It's a 10-week regular season um, that goes from Cheyenne to Kansas City to Anaheim, Nashville, Austin, Oklahoma City, Ridgedale, Missouri, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, Glendale, Arizona, back to Fort Worth, and then we head to Vegas the end of October for the for the championship. Um, it's pretty exciting. We're going to do, we're going to be leaving here shortly in a couple of weeks. We're going to do our training camp in Brazil for the first time. So we've got to oh, cool. open up operations in Brazil that we're excited about because for those that don't know, 
roughly about 50% of the best bull riders in the world come from Brazil. Um, 10 of the top 25 of the top 10 pretty much every year. So we just felt like that was an important place for us to be. And so we're going down to have a training camp down there. We'll do a little bit of scouting, um, you know, expose the brand, the gamblers brand down there. And then another really exciting piece for us in, in PBR and the team series is prime video just released the ride, which is an eight episode <laughs> docu-series that covered the, the, um, the first season uh, of the PBR team series. And uh, we, the gamblers are fortunate to be one of the three teams that are really featured on it. we got a couple of our different riders, actually three of them, Jose, uh, Vitor Lame, Ezekiel Mitchell and, and Dakota Lewis. And so, um, for those that, that have not seen PBR or those that have, it's it's awesome. And it's one, probably the easiest way to put it is it's the drive to survive for bull riding. So what drive to survive did for F1 in terms of getting the guys out of their cars, right. helmets off, you know, hearing their backstories, going with them to their homes and, and seeing who they really are. That's what this series is going to do. So it's on Prime Video right now. It's called The Ride. It, yeah, I yeah, I've been watching. <laughs> Pretty impressive. I mean, I, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on today and uh, you know, instilling all this wisdom but at the same time giving us a perspective. I think it's so um critical for individuals to understand that mindsets change and when your environment change, you know, it's so important to take what you learned but also imply what is existing and sitting right in front of you. So I appreciate your time today, JJ. No, Rob, man, I appreciate you. It's been too long. Um, yes, and you, and you know, you don't even know, it, but just kind of your passion for what you do is is just another one of those bricks that was laid in my foundation. And you know, and even when you don't know, it allows and, and kind of really gives people perspective to push forward. So I appreciate you. I appreciate it, brother. Well, I always end the same way. I have three questions for you. Are you ready for those three questions? Let's do it. All right, let's 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 get on this bull. Uh, we got when you're 18 years old. If you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Listen to my dad more. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> actually, that's a good actually, one. <laughs> you know, because when you're a kid, and, and especially like when you're what 16 to 18, you think your parents right. are idiots, and um, you know, just the, he told me some really basic things and. Um, you know, I didn't listen to them until I got older in life. And they were, they were really simple things and funny things. He, would, he told me to drink more water, don't get in a credit card debt, and jump more rope. And so uh, ultimately, I, I didn't That's drink awesome. enough water. Uh, I got in a credit card debt when I was in college, uh, in, yeah. right after college. And I was oh, really jumping slow. So, and I was really slow. So, um, yeah, I think probably listening to my dad would probably be the best thing uh, that I would tell my 18-year-old self. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right. So if, there's a lot of people that go through challenges and struggles, and a lot of us don't know who they are or and, and they deal with them on their own. What would be two things, uh, two habits that you would say that they should incorporate into their daily life to continue to move forward? I think the one thing is to accept whatever the issue is and then move on. Don't make a bad situation worse. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when something bad happens to us, we think it's the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we look at something as, as a problem and not as an opportunity. Um, and I think, you know, and I was been 
been guilty of that a lot. And I'm probably still will be, I need to listen to my own advice a little bit more, but <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter, you know, deaths, divorce, uh, I mean, those are the serious ones, but um, you know, screwing up at work, screwing up in your relationship, screwing up your diet, um, accepting that there's going to be failure, but don't let it pile up, you know, just accept it, make the change and move on. And, and time is going to heal wounds and, and, and it will get better. It doesn't seem like it when it happens, but just accept it, move on and, and get better. I love that. I love that. This last one is actually going to be kind of interesting because I have no idea where you go with this. So if you could sit at a firehouse table and have coffee with three individuals, it can be deceased or alive. And at the firehouse table, no questions off the table and everybody has to answer things. Who would those three people be? Uh, first one is Theodore Roosevelt, without question. Nice. Um, he's probably one of the most inspirational guys. I've read almost every um, single book about him and just, and just the, his energy and zest for life uh, is just so uh, invigorating. Powerful. So Teddy would yeah. obviously be one. Um, Elvis Presley. Uh, <laughs> My wife would love that answer. I'm a fan. I'm not a fanatic. Um, just, I mean, when you look at somebody that had the effect on American pop culture and still does today, um, just from, he he was an entertainer's entertainer. And so I just would love to just hear some of his stories and just have Teddy Roosevelt look across the table at him and look at his sideburns and wonder what the hell's going on. Um, (laughs) and then oddly enough, Lee Harvey Oswald, Really? I want to know because I'm a big JFK conspiracy guy too, or at least not necessarily conspiracy, but did he act alone or didn't he? Um, and if no questions are off the table, I'd love to hear that answer. Ooh, I like that. I see. I haven't had that. I like this 190 some episodes and I haven't had an answer like that. I love it. I knew it would be you though. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm sure well, I'm sure you haven't had anybody do the interview in a Lucha Libre mask either. So, well, yeah, not that I know of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, JJ, it's always, always a pleasure to, um, you know, talk with you and, uh, you know, definitely we'll make sure it's not as long next time. No worries, brother. I I appreciate it. And, um, I look forward to staying in touch with you more. Thanks for listening and supporting the forged in the fires podcast with fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.